Yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. I've never been to Dublin, I've never been to Ireland at all uh, until yesterday, and so it's much sunnier than I realised, you know, middle of uh, October, so I'm very, <laughs> like this every day, but um, no, I'm very pleased to be here, and as Colin says, this is, uh, was one of my thesis chapters that I've been kind of working on, on and off for quite a few years, um, so yeah, and it's a, a topic Revisited is kind of a bit of an understatement, really. Uh, it's been visited lots of times, so hopefully I'll have something uh, new to say. Okay, so just a fairly um, standard outline of um, how the talk's going to progress. I don't think there's a huge need for motivation of the topic, um, and I'm sure the standard kind of mincer model and the problems therein are very familiar to uh, everybody. Uh, I'm going to concentrate on more on making the case of using early smoking behaviour as uh, an instrumental variable. Look at the kind of results and how robust they are uh, when I do that. Uh, and then kind of have a look at you know, what it gives us, what it tells us in comparison with the, a more traditional raising of the school leaving age instrument. And then, yeah, some uh, concluding remarks. So that's the outline. Preview of what I'm actually going to say, um, although please don't switch off straight away now you've seen the preview. Um, I'm going to use this early smoking behaviour and the raising of the school leaving age uh, in 1973 in England and Wales uh, to generate IV estimates of return to education. And I estimate these on, a, on the same data, uh, which is a 15-wave uh, BHPS uh, pooled panel. Uh, so that's British Household Panel Survey. Um, I'm going to show that early smoking uh, is a good instrument because it occurs, it's something that people do across the distribution of education and uh, of ability, uh, and so the local average treatment effect is going to give us an estimate that's kind of more akin to least squares, but corrected uh, for endogeneity. And crucially, I'm going to test the validity of early smoking as an IV, uh, and I'm going to find that OLS is, is biased down a lot, uh, about 5%, uh, compared with the IV estimates I get of uh, almost 13% using early smoking, uh, just over 10 using Rosler and and using both instruments together, it's about 12 and a half. Uh, so I'm going to suggest that education has quite a high return across the range of education levels, uh, not just at the bottom of the distribution. And then at some point, I'm sure we can have a kind of fight about the instruments and uh, whether they're really valid or not. Hopefully it'll be more discussion than fight, but you never know. So in terms of the motivation, why, why study returns to education? Well, there's... In the past kind of uh, half century, there's been rapid growth in post-secondary and higher education take-up rates, uh, not just in the UK uh, and, and Ireland, but all over Europe and the Western world, really. Uh, so it raises the question of the value of this education for people who previously weren't staying on. Um, I don't think there's more relevance um, for the UK. It couldn't be more relevant than today when Lord Brown has given his report on, on tuition fees and, and variable fees. Uh, what's going to happen there. Um, so there's that, there's the kind of education maintenance allowance in the UK that's come in in the past um, few years that pays students to stay on post-16 in school, so we've had some kind of price changes. Uh, there's been this broad kind of widening participation agenda with a, a view to having kind of 50% of, of students staying on going into higher education. We have this kind of A-level standards uh, every year, the debate about A-level standards and, and whether people should do some baccalaureate or uh, you know, what's going on, uh, how, how much it's worth staying on getting A-levels and, and this kind of thing. 
Uh, and of course in the UK there's the plan to raise the uh, school leaving age to 17 in 2013 and then up to 18 in 2015. So for these reasons, you know, it's useful to try and understand return to education. Uh, but for these reasons, there's like a massive literature on it already. So maybe the question should be, why continue to study, you know, returns to education? Well, the motivation here is that the, you know, Ivy literature is well established. You know, you, you get this local average treatment effect, which is going to be weighted average of the marginal return to education uh, with the weights determined by the extent to which someone's, uh, an individual's behaviour has changed by the treatment. So the estimates are going to differ. When we've got heterogeneous treatment effects, estimates are going to differ depending on the instrument chosen, uh, and you might get quite a small, specific, and perhaps unrepresentative uh, group. So in this paper, my um, tentative claims to uh, novelty, um, or at least something interesting, um, is that this is a local average treatment effect estimate that is more representative of the population in general with respect to education uh, and ability uh, in comparison with previous uh, papers that would use like a school leaving age uh, change. Um, and also I'm able to use one uh, kind of solid IV, the school leaving age, raising the school leaving age, to test this preferred IV, which is the uh, early smoking. And these are genuinely kind of two different mechanisms generating variation in education. Um, and they do overlap, you know, the, the education distribution that they work on, um, but they are different, and so that gives some strength to the testing. Uh, and I'm going to try and convince you with some other evidence that actually this early smoking is uh, a valid IB. Okay, so as I said, I'm sure this standard Minister Human Capital Earnings function is, is known and loved by everybody. Um, we have the log wage as a function of uh, a vector of characteristics, including experience and its square, and um, SI is, is obviously years of schooling. And just to review, in order to get a kind of causal interpretation of the parameter beta, we need these uh, moment conditions to hold. Um, specifically, if we kind of assume that this x, uh, the x covariates are uh, orthogonal to the error term, we need this uh, the middle orthogonality condition is the real uh, is the real killer. Uh, we need this um, yeah need this to hold no relationship between schooling and the error term. But obviously that is you know the basis of the whole uh, literature. This is the problem. We we expect that that uh, condition isn't going to hold. It's not going to hold because we think schooling can be uh, determined by this kind of first stage equation. And as I say, if we assume that the x covariates are orthogonal to the error term in, in the main weight equation, uh, then to satisfy uh, the condition of schooling in the error term in that equation, having this uh, moment condition, uh, we require that the error terms in the two are, are not correlated. But obviously, that is the root of the problem. We, we've got good reasons to expect that these unobserved factors that influence your education choice are also going to, independent of education, have an effect on your wage. So the usual suspects here would be ability bias that's going to give us a positive uh, bias in our beta estimates. Measurement error, there was you know, some literature on this, but that's going to lead to a kind of attenuation bias, but probably uh, isn't going to be the whole story. It can maybe give us um, kind of 10%-ish uh, attenuation bias. And then this discount rate bias that 
started getting talked about in the 90s, the, the idea being that people with higher discount rates will get lower levels of education because uh, they care less about the future, care more about the present, so they'll invest less in education. And then if conditional education, that discount rate has some independent effect on, on your wages, uh, then we could have, I've put a negative there, uh, that would you know, be a story to say that this discount rate people get into jobs that have high growth uh, of wages or high wage-paying jobs, and so you get this negative bias. But equally, it could be positive. You know, people with a higher discount rate might actually select into certain jobs that actually have lower wages, in which case the bias would be positive. So, I mean, in a, in a nutshell, a priori, we don't know uh, whether OLS is going to overestimate or underestimate the causal effect. So, obviously, the classic IV solution is to find an instrument that's relevant, something that affects education, but doesn't then independently have an effect on wage, so the validity condition, um, and then replace the violated moment condition with the, the new one you've generated, and that from that, get consistent estimator. So, obviously, there's a whole literature on, on different instruments that have been used, and each instrument will generally have its own you know, particular critique of the instrument, and they fall under these kind of three headings uh, that Murray um, refers to as the bad, the weak, and the ugly. Uh, so the bad would basically be an invalid instrument, something um, where there's correlation between the instrument itself and the unobservables in the wage equation, um, in which case you know, you're going to have an invalid estimate. And this, of course, is often untestable. You need to have more than one instrument uh, in order to be able to test that. Uh, weak instruments, again, there's a whole kind of substrand of literature on the weak instruments problem. Uh, so a lot of early IV studies were kind of plagued by this, the fact that the first stage, the instruments were really pretty weak. Um, and since then, there's been, like I say, this kind of substrand of literature on tests of how to make sure your instruments aren't weak and all this. So uh, it's less of a prominent problem today. Um, and then the other... The other problem is the kind of the ugly, that you identify a local average treatment effect that either is, is very difficult to explain what you're actually getting, or you may be getting something for a group that's actually uh, not very um, informative. It's not um, telling you something that useful. So I'm going to hopefully convince you that early smoking uh, can be used as a, an instrumental variable for education. And the intuition for this really is that Health and education uh, is a relationship that uh, is one of the um, most commonly found uh, in, in the West, at least, um, that there's a strong relationship. More educated people generally have better health and better health habits. And there's a big literature and debate about whether that's causal, the fact you, know, you get more education and then uh, that improves your knowledge and, and, and therefore your health and health habits improve via that. Um, so that's one kind of explanation. Uh, but Victor Fuchs in, in 1982 uh, suggested an alternative, um, and that being that unobserved differences in, in rate of time preference determine both your years of schooling and your health habits. So in health accumulation models, you're going to invest in health up until the point where your um, marginal return to that investment is equal to your discount rate, very similar to your kind of um, Becker model of human capital accumulation. And if this is the case, then we can use some health habits as instruments for education. So it's given us some variation in education that is to do with time preference and it's not to do with uh, ability or other unobservable <coughs> characteristics. 
So I'm hopefully going to show you that early smoking is both a uh, valid instrument and uh, relevant and arguably not ugly because we're actually getting something that is working across uh, the distribution. So this is an instrument that's been used before, uh, Chevalier and Ian Walker and this paper in the US, Evans and Montgomery, but it's never been used uh, in a context where you've had another instrument to test uh, the validity uh, of the early smoking as, as an instrument because I'm sure everyone's going to have uh, lots of ideas about why it wouldn't be valid uh, and so I think previously papers have been kind of shut down a bit because it's, it's quite easy to think of reasons um, but hopefully I'll be able to convince you that I've uh, covered those bases and, and having an additional instrument that has a good bite on the, on the data set as well uh, gives some more strength to the argument I hope Okay, so this idea that it's not ugly. So I am estimating uh, a local average treatment effect, and it's a group of individuals who've got lower education because of a uh, higher than average discount rate. And the argument is really that this is more representative of the population in general. So here's just a, a density plot of the education leaving age uh, broken down by smokers at 16 and non-smokers at 16. And so you can see that the, as we'd expect, the non-smokers at 16 it is kind of a rightward shift of the smokers at 16. You've got fewer people leaving at kind of 16, 17, and more people going to university and leaving there. But what I just want to show really is that um, it's certainly not the case that all the smokers at 16 are, are, are just here, right? There's quite a few here that are going on to do um, post-16 qualifications, and some, you know, there's people who are going on to university. Uh, and if you kind of take the non-smokers and shift it to the left, it kind of Obviously, it's not a perfect uh, matchup, but I guess I just want to show you that it's certainly not the case that all your smokers at 16 are just, these are the, these are the low ability kids. This is happening across the distribution of uh, education levels. Okay, so just to say a word about the data, I, I don't know how many people are familiar with the uh, British Household Panel Survey. This started in 1991 as a kind of representative survey of people living in private households in, in Britain. And in Wave 9, there was an additional component uh, with questions about uh, previous health habits. So from this, I can construct when people, whether people smoked when they were from 14, 15, 16, 17 onwards. Um, so what I've got is that. And so I've got anybody uh, who was in Wave 9, but I've got all of their observations before and after wave nine as well. I've restricted it here to, to men in the 19 to 65 age bracket, full-time employed uh, with no self-employed. Um, and that gives me a sample of uh, 2,266 men and just over 21,000 observations. So uh, as I say, because it's a panel, I've got multiple observations per person, uh, which helps with the precision. Um, and on average, got about 10 observations per person. And at this stage, I just wanted to flag up, obviously there are kind of measurement error issues that are inherent in this whole uh, literature. We can think of you know, why years of schooling wouldn't be a, a particularly good measure of education or human capital. Um, cheap skin effects, so certain years might carry uh, credentials that then give you a return over and above for the actual, that year of education. Um, the mapping, again, uh, of years of education into human capital might it's far from perfect if you have uh, somebody who uh, does 
say GCSEs and then has a year retaking and then another year doing a kind of diploma course for one year they've got the same recorded years of schooling as someone who does GCSEs and then two year A levels and so it's, it's certainly not a great um, perfect correspondence and there's no kind of a taking account of quality again with this Brown report today you know different universities we, we think you know, give us different uh, qualities of education and so none of that is, is taken into account it's all in this world Years of education are homogenous blobs that you can just have cut up how you like and, and the quality is all the same. So I wanted to flag those up, but essentially I'm, I'm going to do what the rest of the literature does with these issues and kind of uh, hand wave a little bit and just say, OK, uh, we know these are not perfect uh, measures, essentially, and uh, we're going we're gonna to press on regardless. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. OK, so here's the... Um, the main table of results. Uh, in the first column, we've got the OLS results, uh, and you can see there that's the 4.6% uh, the return. So included in this, I've got uh, age and age squared. I uh, haven't got experience and, and, and experience squared as you'd have in the kind of classic uh, Mincer model, but using age and age squared is fairly standard. Uh, I've got this quadratic in year of birth uh, to take account of kind of general cohort effects. And I've also got controls for ethnicity, uh, standard region, and mothers and fathers' occupational class when the respondent was 14, and a dummy for whether individuals lived with both birth parents from 0 to 16. Uh, so those controls were not uh, all of the regressions. If we Yeah. make an argument or rule out that it's not just that like, smoking is something that's intimately bound up in the error of wages for, for all sorts of reasons. Sure, yeah, I mean, that's uh, hopefully, um, so the second half of what I'm going to talk about is, is trying to bat away these, these critiques, right, that there's going to be, so you're right, there would be a potentially a positive bias uh, in the IV if smoking is correlated uh, with that error term. So uh, yeah, we're gonna yeah I'm gonna try and um, unpick and uh, tackle some of those arguments in a minute. And um, I don't know, we, there might be some new ones as well. I've, I've presented this a few places, and, and I think at the moment I've covered most of the bases. But if it would be good if anyone has a new objection, then uh, help me to uh, refine this a little bit more. Okay, so um, the the third column uh, shows the uh, first stage from the IV. So you've got. Uh, the smoking at 16 indicator. So that's I've taken the age 16 as the primary results. Uh, so this is telling us that individuals who smoked when they were 16 uh, get about 0.9 years less education than those who don't. Um, and it's it, you can see it's uh, statistically significant at uh, the 1% level. And in terms of Oh, we were in about a weak instrument. Um, so the F-test on the exclusion of smoking at 16 is, is pretty high at 66. Um, this partial R squared of the instrument, that looks like a terribly low number, not 0.289, but actually is, is, that's pretty good uh, in, the, in this literature. That's a pretty strong indication uh, of a strong instrument. And there's various... So I've run this uh, in Stata's IV Reg 2, uh, and that turns out various uh, test statistics, and uh, including this Kleibergen-Papp 
RK walled statistic, which is going to tell us how much bias is in the coefficient, so whether there's potential for a lot of bias. And that is strongly kind of rejected that um, there's bias in these coefficients. Um, and also, okay, so I can run this using the IVGMM or Fuller's Limel uh, estimation, and again, the results barely, barely change. And so uh, it all kind of suggests that the instrument's pretty, pretty strong. And you can see in the middle column, uh, the, the return goes up to about 13%. And again, it's very uh, uh, strongly significant. So how do these results compare? Well, they were comparing pretty good up until the past couple of years. I was able to say these are bang on exactly in the literature what everyone else has found. And that's certainly true for the early uh, US studies. Uh, there's a few, um, particularly the 95 and 99 Harmon and Walker papers, these results of, of this 4.6 going up to 12.9 is, is pretty much banging the ballpark of everyone else. Uh, that was until Paul uh, Devereux and, and, and Robert Hart did their paper recently uh, and have found you know, an OLS that then goes down in the, uh, in the IV and caused Oreopolis, which previously was 5.5 you know, going up to kind of 14.15, which again was very much the right uh, kind of ballpark. Uh, obviously, that's changed uh, in light of, of uh, Paul's paper. And so I have to say it's consistent with the literature, particularly the early UK uh, literature. And in fact, I mean, it's worth just making the point that, um, joking aside, Paul's paper is concentrating uh, while he's looking at the 1947 change, which was what Oreopolis did as well, whereas I'm looking at the 1973 change. Uh, and there's good reason to think that actually the 73 uh, might have uh, a greater impact, given that it brought people up to a level of uh, education and an age at which the uh, exit exams were O-levels uh, and CSEs. Whereas if you left it, you know, if you raised from 14 to 15, there weren't actually any exams taken then uh, that were kind of nationally recognised. So that might be one of the reasons why uh, you don't really get an effect in the wages uh, for the 47 raise, whereas the 73, the results seem to be uh, suggesting a higher return. So it's generally pretty consistent <coughs> with the literature. But this is the most important question, really. Um, is the instrument valid? So the way to, I'm going to try and convince you of that, the first thing is to use both the early smoking instrument and the raising of the school leaving age instrument, and then use this uh, Hansen J test of the over-identification, um, with the null in this test is that the instruments are valid. And this test statistic uh, is, is you know, a comprehensive kind of failure to reject the null. Um, so that kind of suggests that you know, the early smoking instrument is valid. There is a bit of a, you know, these tests aren't, not everyone likes these tests or, or trusts them. So one thing I've tried to do is decompose that test. Um, and the way I've done this is to run the uh, IV just using the raising of the school leaving age and use that, get the residuals from that uh, in the second stage, so the wage equation residuals, uh, and then regress them, because they should be a, a valid estimate of the, of the actual error term, then regress those on the early smoking instrument to see whether there's any correlation there between this estimate of the residual and the uh, early smoking instrument. And this is, what, this is what you get if you do that. So you can see there's, there's, no, uh, there's no correlation there. So that would suggest that you know, this early smoking instrument isn't correlated with the error term in the wage equation once you've taken account of the effect on education. So that kind of 
um, hopefully adds a bit more uh, to the plain old uh, Hansen J test to suggest that it is a valid instrument. Uh, and when I do with both instruments, you get these um, pretty high R squared for the literature. Uh, and again, the partial R squared, which looks like it's very small, is actually pretty high. Um, and again, it's robust to estimating using these fuller um, limal estimation. Passes all these stock Yogo tests of the strength of the instrument. So again, it all, all suggests that these instruments are both strong and valid. And again, with these Hansen J tests, the problem with them is sometimes is that people will have just an instrument and they'll interact that instrument with some different things and then do the test and say, you know, oh look, the instruments are all, they're all valid. But if you've only got one mechanism generating the variation in education, then if one of the instruments is valid, they're all valid. Uh, but if it isn't, then none of them are. So you can't really use that test, and, and that, that's given the test a little bit of a bad name, I think. Um, whereas here, because we've got genuinely two different mechanisms uh, generating the variation, that should uh, give us a bit more faith in the test. And so that all suggests that the instrument is valid. Um, and then another thing I can do is use um, the Rosler IV to, to just identify the system and include early smoking as a covariate and just see you know, what happens there. So that's what I've done here. So there's the uh, results using Rosler as the IV, and this is pretty much exactly what I get uh, when I don't include uh, early smoking. So here you can see the smoking at 16 indicator. It's almost exactly the same effect in the first stage that it has when I just use the early smoking uh, instrument. But in the second stage, once it's had its effect on education, there's absolutely no effect here. Yeah, and so it's, it's, it's the minimum school leaving age raise that's identifying. Um, this is just included as a covariate, and again, you see there's no, there's no effect in the second stage. So hopefully that at least helps to build the case that this is a, a valid instrument. So now we get on to um, what Liam was raising, this question of what are we actually picking up in, in early smoking? What else is it correlated with that's going to affect wages? So one argument is it's just reflecting poor socioeconomic status, with the argument being that this status lowers education and increases the likelihood of early smoking. And so that's, that's perfectly valid. Um, but my response for that is that I'm controlling as best as I can for um, the socioeconomic status of each individual using uh, factors that were contemporary to the smoking decision. So the parents' occupational class, uh, when the individual is 14, for mother and father, and whether uh, individuals live with both birth parents from 0 to 16. Uh, so to the extent that that captures this kind of poor, uh, well, captures SES, that should soak up um, that correlation, take it out of the error term. So if I run the basic specification of the model without these SES controls, uh, the coefficient on early smoking is, is minus, about minus 1.1, uh, and adding those controls in, we saw it was about minus 0.9. Uh, so it does, even when we've got these pretty good, what well, well, I think pretty good controls for SES, uh, you're still getting, and it does clearly have some effect to take an effect out of the early smoking indicator, but you're still getting this pretty large effect. Uh, and so I don't think it's the case that, you know, uh, it's just picking up, you know, poor socioeconomic background. I mean, again, you could tell me that these aren't very good controls and so you know you're still getting it but they're the best you know they're the best controls I have and I think 
given that they are contemporary to the time uh, that the smoking decision was being made, I think they're, they're pretty good candidates for soaking up this kind of SES. There's one argument that would really help your case, which is that uh, the type of brain areas that are responsible for self-control, future thinking and so on, um, don't really settle down onto the people that are in their kind of mid-twenties. Right. So that um, the kids, it's quite possible, for example, kids could express patterns of impulsivity when they're teenagers that they grow out of. Yeah. And that would be what you're saying, basically, yeah. that they're smoking, they're showing that they're not valuing the future. Yeah. So in that case, it becomes a nice instrument for education, but they're going to get a bit older. Now, but, but, but the argument that would be bad for you would be <laughs> that there's a latent trait throughout your life that's mm. really self-control, future orientation, and so on. And when you're young, it's reflected in smoking. When you're old, it's reflected in, or when you're older, it's reflected in labor market search, patience, all yeah. of that type yeah. of stuff. And if that's the case, then it's not that SES and poor background is determining uh, smoking. It's that there's a latent time preference that, that evolves through your life that. and expresses itself in different ways. Yeah, do, do you have to, like, I've got that um, coming up actually. You're preempting uh, some of my um, some of the slides I've got later on. But I, I think I definitely agree with your first argument, Liam. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll go with that one. If that's okay. Yeah. Excellent. I'll get that off you uh, later on. Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's something I could look at, actually. If I was to interact that, I could see if there's a different a different kind of age earnings profile uh, for smokers and non-smokers. I haven't done that, but that is, yeah, that's a good point. I could look into that. Um, and that would hopefully help uh, support the first argument um, rather than the second. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll push on to the next uh, critique. So, is it a causal relationship between education and early smoking? So, this would say that Individuals who get more education have uh, greater knowledge uh, of the health consequences of smoking and therefore less likely to smoke. Um, so the argument to respond would be that it's, it's certainly no longer the case that formal education is the primary source of health knowledge regarding smoking. Given you know, government campaigns, it's very kind of prominent that uh, I don't think it's, you know, you go to school and it's only there you find out that smoking is bad for you. So one uh, test... Um, to look at this is to interact the early smoking indicator with whether that person turned 16 before or after this first Surgeon General's report, which made the kind of conclusive link between smoking and, and lots of uh, negative uh, health consequences. So if this is the case, uh, then the negative correlation between early smoking and education will increase if it's the discount rate story, if that's really what's driving the relationship, uh, but it would disappear if it's the knowledge story because there would no longer be that link, right? If it was previously education that was getting people to know about uh, the health consequences of smoking, then that link would disappear once it's kind of public knowledge. So as I'd hope and as it turns out, 
doing that interaction, you can see that um, we get the negative uh, correlation in both periods, and it actually gets higher, um, stronger in terms of a correlation, and also um, a larger quantitative effect in the post-period. So this uh, kind of supports the hypothesis that what actually you're picking up is a, a discount rate thing rather than just some, uh, some causal knowledge story. And I can also uh, re-estimate the model and just get rid of anyone who has less than 11 years of education. So everyone at the point when they're choosing to smoke at 16 or not has the same number of years education. And again, you know, uh, the, the results don't change. So it, it doesn't look to me like it's a kind of knowledge story. Do you have guards so I've what, sorry? Current. current smoking, yeah. Is yeah. It, is it, it's clearly Yeah, I mean, I can put current smoking in and it doesn't you know, change the results. Obviously, then you're estimating of people who did smoke but no longer do smoke, uh, but the results don't really change. And there's actually there's quite a lot of movement between early smoking and current smoking, um, which I think um, helps go along the lines of Liam's first argument, the fact that you know, there's not that many people who smoked then, and they, you know, it's not like everyone who smoked then definitely smokes now. There's quite a lot of, of movement. This is the BHPS, right? This is BHPS, yeah. So they, um, as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they have started doing experiments on BHPS, so they've, they've started to measure uh, things like time preferences and so on. In the, in the youth, I think. Interesting, uh, yeah, yeah. Way. I could... Um, in the later waves, they, they have some... Um, they've elicited some information like that. Right, I should... Um, yeah, that's potentially an avenue to go down to try and... Uh, that would really help. Hope, well, hopefully it would really help the... Uh, How yeah. Oh, is it a totally new sample? If it's a totally new sample, then... But if it's the youth... And if it's the youth sample, then uh, I would have their current smoking information and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's, that's something I could go down. Okay, so the, the big kind of argument, really, is that just individuals with lower ability... Um, will get less education and are also more likely to smoke. Uh, so I think this is, you know, this is definitely very plausible. Um, and so this is one I'm going to spend some time trying to uh, uh, dispel. So the response is really that ability and, and discount rate are going to you know, have some relationship. However, if it was the case that we're just, you know, this early smoking dummy is just picking up low ability, uh, then we should only see an effect by definition at the, the low end of the ability distribution. And so, obviously, we don't observe ability, so the way I'm, I'm trying to get around this is to run the OLS regression and take the residuals from that and, and take that as some kind of measure of you know, unobserved ability that's having an effect on wage. So what I've done uh, is, is taken that uh, residual and then for each person got their kind of average uh, residual and ranked those into quintiles. And this is what I'm, I'm going to refer to as this proxy ability distribution. So what I can now look at is how many people smoked at 16 in each quintile of this uh, ability distribution. Uh, I can look at the first stage done separately by quintile and see whether it's, it's affecting all of these uh, quintiles. And also uh, another way around this is to use smoking at 18 as the indicator because you can definitely make a case that People who smoke at 16, you're just picking up the low ability, but I think it's, it's more difficult to make that case uh, for smokers at 18. Uh, I mean, I won't... Well, maybe I will. Uh, in this room, who smoked when they're 18? If people don't mind uh, showing, did anyone smoke when they're 18? Um, so, okay, that's, that's maybe a, I don't know, 
quarter of a third of the people, which, and I, and I would class you as high ability. Yeah? Um, so it's certainly, anyway, I think it's a more difficult argument to make that smoking at 18 is only engaged in by low ability people. So I'm going to look at using that indicator as well. Okay, so if we just look at the numbers who smoked when they were 16 or smoked when they were 18, on the left panel you see about a third of the sample smoked when they were 16. Um, and if we divide this, is the ability quintiles going from the lowest to highest, you can see it seems to be picking up something of ability in that in the lower quintiles we do have a higher proportion uh, smoking uh, smokers versus non-smokers. As we go up, it drops down a bit, but still we've got 34%, which is pretty much the average uh, smokers in the fourth quintile of uh, the ability distribution. Uh, it drops off in the very top one, but still 23%. So it's certainly not the case that all of the smokers at um, 16 are just bunched right down here at the bottom. And if you look to the right panel, the case for smoking at 18, it's even more evenly split between smokers and non-smokers. Uh, the average being kind of 45% people smoked uh, when they were 18, 55 didn't. So these numbers hopefully just suggest that this isn't just a minority interest of the, of the low ability. So if I then take those quintiles and run the first stage separately by quintile, you can see that in the lowest quintiles we're getting point, point 0.77 reduction in education for smokers versus non-smokers. Uh, and, but it's pretty, it's pretty consistent all the way across these uh, quintiles. So it's certainly not the case that it's just hitting uh, the lower ability. We're getting a fairly consistent result. And what happens if we run uh, everything through with the smoker at 18? So here's the OLS, just exactly the same as we had before. In the far end, we've got the uh, first stage of the IV using the smoker at 18 as the instrument. You can see we've got, a, again, uh, a very precisely estimated um, minus 0.75, basically, so three-quarters of a year less education for individuals who smoked it when they were 18 compared to those who didn't. And again, all these fancy tests that you can do all kind of suggest this instrument is, is very strong uh, and that we haven't got you know, loads of bias in our coefficients. And the result comes through. It's... Uh, about 13.5% return estimated. Again, it's not going to be statistically different to the result when smoking at 16. Uh, so, again, the consistency of the results for smokers at 18, I could, could show you kind of 14, 15, 16 to 17, 18, and the, the tenor of the results, the estimates are almost all the same, around kind of 12, 13%. And the effects on uh, education all have this right kind of... Uh, magnitudes in that the younger you are when you're smoking, the less you know, it has more of an effect on your education, which is exactly what would fit with the discount rate story. So I'm fairly confident that I can not just pick up ability or, or poor background of education. So now I just want to try and show you some evidence to suggest that actually this early smoking is picking up something of kind of future-oriented behavior and so what this is showing is that smokers at 16, uh, are, when we control for all the controls that I have in the other equations, and I put in um, log wage as a 
some kind of measure of human capital. I could put in years of schooling. Neither of them are going to be great, obviously, because we know they're endogenous. But just as an indicative thing, uh, this suggests that uh, smokers at 16 are 4.4% less likely to be a homeowner. So that's owning the home, obviously, is, is capturing something of future-oriented behaviour. And in terms of uh, health-related behaviours, there's a problem. Health outcomes would be a problem because we know, you know early smoking or, or leading on to later smoking could have effects on, you know, well, it does have effects on health outcomes. But looking at health-related behaviours and investments uh, is something we can do. Uh, and again, using all the controls that I used before, you see that smokers at 16 are less likely to have been for a, uh, a dental checkup in the past 12 months, uh, about 4% less likely, and about 3% less likely to have been for an optician's uh, checkup. So hopefully this kind of suggests that um, early smoking is capturing something of a kind of time preference idea that we do see uh, later on in, in this kind of uh, health-related behaviour. Okay, so in terms of comparison with the raising of the school leaving age, so again, here we've got the OLS results in the first uh, column, the same as we had before, and the IV first stage in the final uh, panel there shows that the raising of the minimum school leaving age increased uh, education by about uh, just over half a year for the sample. Um, and again, okay, so the, you might notice the F is about seven and a half, which is a bit below uh, the kind of rule of thumb of, of 10. Uh, but I can re-estimate this with the basic uh, sample and you still get pretty much the same results and then the F is like reaching 10, uh, which is the kind of rule of thumb. And I can also you know, run it through with um, the fuller estimation and all these things that are trying to be robust to any weakness uh, and find pretty much the results are identical. So I'm not worried about uh, this being a weak instrument. Um, and you can see that the, in the middle panel, the IV using the Rosler gets us about uh, a 10% return. So, and this is kind of in line with uh, what's been found before in terms of the effect of uh, the raising the school leaving age on educational uh, years of education. And again, the results 10% is kind of fitting with what uh, other IV studies, particularly the, the early ones. So the question is, okay, so what's this smoking instrument giving you that you can't get from Rosler? Well, one critique of the Rosler instrument would be that you're just picking up an effect at the lower end of the distribution. By definition, it's, it's a return for people who were f forced to stay in school and get an extra year. Um, and this kind of shows that's what's going on, really. Um, so again, this is our kind of ability quintile. And you can see that in the lowest quintile, the effect on education is to increase it by around about exactly a year. Uh, in the next quintile up, it's about point, point 0.8 years. But then thereafter in these higher quintiles, there's just you know, no effect whatsoever. Um, much smaller and nowhere near uh, significant. So hopefully this kind of is trying to illustrate that this early smoking should be telling us something about across the whole distribution, whereas Rosler is, is, seems to only be hitting this lower part of the ability distribution, and we know it only works on the lower part of the education distribution by, by definition. So this does suggest that Rosler are kind of predominantly low ability rather than uh, credit constrained, and this is supported by evidence from the US um, 
Kanier and Heckman's paper uh, showing that control inferability responses to tuition fees are uniform across income groups kind of suggests it's not that the people affected by Rosler are income uh, or credit constrained, it's more of a kind of ability story. Um, and two more recent papers in the UK are showing that conditional on prior attainment, there's no difference in higher education participation um, across SES groups. So it's not that the people affected by Rosler are, are credit constrained. It seems to be more along the story that actually that result is giving you the effect at the lower end of the distribution and lower end of the ability distribution as well. Okay, so that would be why using early smoking is a useful instrument. Hopefully it's, it's working across more of the education and ability distributions. If we just look at uh, what happens if we use both instruments simultaneously, you can see that in the final column, the first stage, the size of the effect is pretty much the same as what happened with uh, each instrument being used individually. Again, both are very uh, strongly significant. And then we get the IV estimate of about 12.5%. Um, uh, problem with this is this is definitely falling into the kind of ugly category, right? Of uh, it's, it's the interpretation of who's what group, what local average treatment effect you're getting here is uh, much more difficult. Um, it seems that really a lot of the work is being done by the smoking instrument, and the, and the coefficient is is towards that. So right, that seems to be doing most of the work. But the, I mean, it's more precisely estimated as we'd expect using more variation in education, uh, but. Yeah, it's pretty ugly in terms of the, uh, the uh, interpretation. So just to kind of wrap up and allow a bit of time um, for, for discussion stroke fight, um, the conclusions uh, are that early smoking, uh, I hope I've convinced you that it's relevant and more importantly that it's a valid IV for education. Um, and that it captures a local average treatment effect that includes individuals across the distributions of both education and um, proxy ability. Um, and therefore, it's, it's going to be more useful for drawing conclusions about the return to education um, than local average treatment effects that just pick out a certain point in education or ability distributions. And the results suggest OLS is, is biased down. Uh, and that returns to education are quite high across a range of education levels. It's not just uh, at the lower end of the distribution where education has a high return. And this is, of course, um, relevant for policy. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the raising of the school leaving age, uh, 17 in 2013 and up to 18 in 2015. And also, uh, as I said, with the debate on tuition fees and, and, and all that uh, coming out today, um, this has something to say about uh, education being a good investment. Absolutely no cap. Really? So there we go. So you better. Right. So it's even more important. Well, that, I mean, even more important than to understand how much it's going to pay you in your wages if uh, you're paying, yeah, uh, kind of 20 grand a year to go to uh, UCD and do economics. Um, or, well, I guess it wouldn't apply. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the final point would just be that even allowing for the imprecision of the IV suggests that, at least for more recent cohorts, 
return to education uh, is closer to kind of 10% than it is to 5%. And I don't think I, yeah, don't have any more conclusions than that. So any, yeah? I don't know if I, if I have this right, um, but say just for the, the policy implication of it, if, if uh, I mean, if there are, say, if a lot of the people who were leaving school earlier and they're a bit dissolute and, you know, they're young and dissolute and impatient, and, mm. um, we, we probably guess that they, they're probably not doing very well in school, so we brought in a policy that they don't have to stay in school for a year longer, you kind yeah. of wonder how much will they get out of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So it's something of a... Well, it's always been a bit of a mystery for exactly that reason, right? That why you've got these kids who are probably a bit disillusioned with the system and you force them to stay in school for an extra year and then it turns out, you know, they're getting these great, you know, high returns. Um, so that, I mean, that makes it more understandable the kind of Deborah and Hart result that actually the returns aren't, you know, that high for these uh, people. Um, as I say, I think what's going on in this, uh, looking at the 73 Rosler, is that, as I said, it brings it up to a point, you know, if you have to stay to 16, then that brings you to a point where the exit exams that you take are nationally recognised. And so the 73 Rosler um, is going to contain some qualifications effect in addition to uh, the extra year effect. So I think that is, that's the reason. Um, I've got another paper that's kind of trying to unpick the two things, and that basically comes down to it that the the 73 Rosler, the people who drive this result that you're getting kind of 10% increase in wages, it's the people who it affected them to get the extra year and they got the qualification as well, which they wouldn't previously have got. So I think that's that's kind of squares that um, circle, you know, to some extent that if people, even if they're a bit disillusioned with the system, if it's the difference between getting qualifications and not, then you're going to get um, quite a high return. Which would make sense, actually. Um, you know, the more almost the more disillusioned you are with education, um, the two same people who are kind of a bit fed up with it and, and maybe not that academic going into the job market. Uh, if one of them has qualifications and the other one hasn't, then that could be a massive, you know, advantage. Even more so than if you've got two fairly, you know, well. Um, Chirpy is that the word? You know, going into the market who look, you know, good, and and uh, if one of them's got qualifications, the other hasn't. It might not, you know, the margin isn't that great. The, so, kind of the more um, disinclined to education two candidates are, the the bigger the kind of effect should be uh, of having a qualification. So, I think, I mean, that's that's my take on why you get this um, quite a high re result. Yeah. I'm curious about the meaning of being a smoker over time. I read recently that in the 1960s, 80% of men smoked cigarettes. Yeah. And so in that case, your control group is about 20% of people who are either exceptionally self-disciplined or exceptionally mm. uncool. And <laughs> if you take today's situation, being a non-smoker is the norm, and so your control group is a lot more representative. Yeah. So I wonder, would interacting age by being a non-smoker pick up that difference over time? Yeah, I mean, again, this idea of um, that we talked about in terms of interacting, smoking at 16 and, and the kind of cohort, I guess, that you're in. Um, 
have to write it all down and have a think whether it's just then going to be you know whether I'm going to still be able to identify separate effects. Um, I mean, in my data, it's still actually the norm that people don't smoke when they're 16, right? So only a third of them did smoke, and the age um, cohorts that I've got, uh, it's kind of centred on about 19. I think 1958 is the kind of middle um, birth date. So those people are going to be kind of late. 60s, I guess. Um, but anything further than that, you're getting into ages where, yeah, it was less likely that people smoked. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to look at that. Uh, I mean, you do see that when I look at whether it's before 65 or after 65, and you do see that kind of relationship increasing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, um, I don't know actually what what the uh, yeah because I I think it's so now you have to be sixteen I think well, it was always sixteen when I was fifteen anyway um, to buy cigarettes <laughs> um, I might even be eighteen now actually I think in the UK I think it's eighteen um, but yeah no that's a good point I should check that out and find out when um, yeah when they started uh, being real tough on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's so there's one kind of argument to say, okay, smoking current smoking, do we know it definitely affects you know, productivity? Uh, I think probably there's the balance of evidence is that yeah, you know, you're gonna have more days off, you're gonna pick up more infections and this kind of thing. So yeah, there's there's a link there. Uh whether smoking at sixteen I don't have the information on how heavily people smoked. Um, I just know whether they smoked or not. So there is, you know, um, a case that, yeah, exactly as you describe, people create bad negative health consequences, and so that does then pick up in their wages later on. Uh, I kind of fall back on the idea that the, you know, the, the strength of the relationship between current smoking and current productivity, you know, it's not cast iron. Yeah, so even more so going back to 16. And there's actually, uh, as I was saying before, there's quite a lot of movement in between smoking at 16 and, and smoking now, uh, or smoking now and not smoking at 16 and that. So I kind of, I can, I can see that might be a problem, but probably more of a problem for the people that continually smoked from 16 onwards. But in, in my data, that's, uh, you know, like I say, there's quite a lot of movement. And so I'm, 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 that's my hand-waving answer to that one. Interesting possibilities. I don't know if your school, but in my school, uh, all the guys would go up to the bike shed and you'd see that it was like the kid was on fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the people in there would be the hard guys in the school, and you know, the, you could see pure effects forming around. Yeah. No, I didn't call it that when I was 15 years old, so it was, uh, it yeah. was a, a nice environment for creating trouble and things like that. And I wonder, like, uh, when, you're, when you're 16, it's kind of, Smoking is associated with a whole range of kind of mm. environmental shaping factors and things like that. So you end up hanging around with the thousands in the school rather than yeah. the, the kind of good guys in the school. That's tr yeah, certainly. Um, and I think it ties in with this idea about age um, and how you're getting different treatment and control groups. Uh, in my school, 
on R16, everybody smoked, right? The, the, ev almost, it seemed everybody smoked. Um, so there wasn't that, you know, so the kind of, um, the smart kids went down with the other smart kids to the, the scout hut, and that's where people smoked. And then the hard kids went down there as well um, with the other hard kids and just stood about looking hard. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it does depend. It's going to depend on, there's going to be some kind of cohort effects as to who's smoking and who isn't. And you're right, I mean, there could be all sorts of channels that then that feeds back into education um, that isn't time preference, but... Yeah, I, I don't, I guess we just don't observe these. But even, I mean, we certainly feel like a pure effect mechanism would be fine for you because it would be a short-term thing that influences education, but not... Shouldn't affect, yeah. The health one would be a bit more problematic. Yeah, the health would be a problem. And I'm not sure how helpful it is from my, um, you know, dental and optician's checks, because this kind of fits more with your second story, I think, about um, some underlying uh, trait that's still picked up later on. So I might have, to, might have to curl a couple of these slides, but um, but you're right. I mean, I, I I I do see it that you've kind of got some decisions being taken then, but your time preferences might be yeah not settling down until later in life. So hopefully that will you know uh, get me out of jail on the validity case. Okay. Thanks very much. All right.